Section 4 of Swordsman of Lost Terra by Paul William Anderson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Paul Harvey. Riven was a fair city, with terraced gardens and high shining towers to be seen over the white walls, and it lay among wide fields not yet ravaged by the enemy. But around it, under its walls, spilling out over the land, huddled the miserable shacks and tents of those who had fled hither and could find no room within the town till the foe came over the horizon the broken folk the ragged horror-ridden peasants who stared mutely at the defeated army as it streamed through the gates the men of Kalorn made camp under one wall and soon their fires smudged the deep silver-blue sky and their warriors stood guard against the ravanians they did not trust even these comrades in woe for they came of the fat southlands and the wide highways and the iron legions and not of Kalorn and its harsh windy loneliness before long word came that the barbarian leaders were expected at the palace so bram nessa and kiri put on their polished burnies and over them tunics and cloaks of their best plunder they slung their swords over their shoulders and mounted their hests and rode between two squads of ravanian guardsmen through the gates and into the city it was packed and roiling with those who had fled crowds surged aimlessly around the broad avenues and spilled into the colonnaded temples and the looming apartments and even the gardens and villas of the nobility. There was the dusty, bearded peasant, clinging to his wife and his children, and looking on the world with frightened eyes. Gaily decked noble, riding through the mob with patrician hauteur and fear underneath it. Fat merchant and shaven priest, glowering at the refugees who came in penniless, to throng the city and must by the queen's orders be fed and housed patrolling soldiers striving to keep order in the mindless whirlpool of man their young faces drawn and their shoulders stooped beneath their mail jugglers mountebanks thieves harlots tavern keepers plying their trades in the feverish gaiety of doom a human storm foaming off into strange half-glimpsed faces in darkened alleys and eddying crowds the unaccountable aliens who flit through all great cities the world seemed gathered at riven and huddling before the wrath that came fear rode the city kerry could feel it he breathed and the air was dank with terror he bristled animal-like and laid a hand to his sword for an instant he remembered Kilorn. the wide lake rose before him and he stood at its edge watching the breeze ruffle it and hearing the whisper of reeds and the chuckle of water on a pebbled shore miles about lay the hills and the moors the clean strong smell of ling was a drunkenness in his nostrils it was silent save for the small cool wind that ruffled morna's hair and in the west it was sunset the mighty sun-disk lay just below the horizon and a shifting 
drifting riot of colors, flame of red and green and molten gold burned in the twilight heavens. He shook his head, feeling his longing as a sharp, clear pain, and urged his hest through the crowds. Presently they reached the palace. It was long and low and gracious, crowded now since all the nobles and their households had moved into it, and, under protest, turned their own villas over to the homeless. Dismounting, the northerners walked between files of guardsmen, through fragrant gardens and up the broad marble steps of the building, through long corridors and richly furnished rooms, and finally into the audience chamber of Queen Sathi. It was like a chalice of white stone, wrought in loveliness and brimming with twilight and stillness. That deep blue dusk lay cool and mysterious between the high slim pillars, and somewhere came the rippling of a harp and the singing of birds and fountains. Carey felt suddenly aware of his uncouth garments and manners and accent. His tongue thickened, and he did not know what to do with his hands. Awkwardly, he took off his helmet. Lord Bram of Kalorn, your majesty, said the chamberlain. Greeting and welcome, said Sathi. Word had spread far about Riven's young queen, but Carrie thought dazedly that the gossips had spoken less of her than was truth. She was tall and lithe and sweetly formed, with strength slumbering deep under the wide soft mouth and the lovely curves of cheeks and forehead. Blood of the sunlands darkened her hair to a glowing blue-black and tinted her skin with gold. There was fire from the sun within her. Like other southern women, she dressed more boldly than the girls of Killorn, a sheer gown falling from waist to ankles a thin veil over the shoulders little jewelry she needed no ornament she could not be very much older than he if at all thought carrie he caught her great dark eyes on him and felt a slow hot flush go up his face with an effort he checked himself and stood very straight with his strange blue eyes like cold flames beside sathy sat the general, Jonan, and there were a couple of older men who seemed to be official advisers. But it soon was clear that only the queen and the soldier had much to say in this court. Bram's voice boomed out, shattering the peace of the blue dusk. For all his great size and ruddy beard, he seemed lost in the ancient grace of the chamber. He spoke too loudly. He stood too stiff. Thank you, my lady, but I am no lord. I simply head this group of the men of Kalorn. He waved clumsily at his fellows. These are Nessa of Daff and Kerry of Broina. Be seated then and welcome again. Sathi's voice was low and musical. She signaled her servants to bring wine. We have heard of great wanderings in the north, she went on when they had drunk. But those lands are little known to us. What brought you so far from home? Nessa, who had the readiest tongue, answered, 
There was famine in the land, your majesty. For three years, drought and cold lay like iron over Kalorn. We hungered, and the coughing sickness came over many of us. Not all our magics and sacrifices availed to end our misery. They seemed only to raise great storms that destroyed what little we had kept. Then the weather smiled again, but as often happens, the gray blight came in the wake of the hard years. It reaped our grain before we could. The stalks withered and crumbled before our eyes. And wild beasts came in hunger-driven swarms to raid our dwindling flocks. There was scarce food enough for a quarter of our starving folk. We knew from what had happened in other lands that the gray blight will waste a country for years five or ten, leaving only perhaps a third part of the crop alive at each harvest. Then it passes away and does not come again, but meanwhile the land will not bear many folk. So in the end the clans decided that most must move away, leaving only a few who could keep alive through the niggard years to hold the country for us. Hearts broke in twain, your majesty, for the hills and the moors and the lake where it is forever sunset were part of us. We are of that land, and if we die away from it, our ghosts will wander home. But go we must, lest all die. Yes, go on, said Jonan impatiently when he paused. Bram gave him an angry look and took up the story. Four hosts were to wander out of the land and see what would befall. If they found a place to stay, they would abide there till the evil time was over. Otherwise, they would live however they could. It lay with the gods, my lady, and we have traveled far from the realms of our gods. One host went eastward, into the great forests of Norla. One got ships and sailed west out into the daylands, where some of our adventurers had already explored a little way. One followed the coast southwestward, through country beyond our ken, and ours marched due south, and so we have wandered for five years. Homeless, whispered Sathi, and Carrie thought her eyes grew bright with tears. Barbarian robbers, snapped Jonan, I know of the havoc they have wrought on their way. And what would you have done? growled Bram. Jonan gave him a stiff glare, but he rushed on. Your Majesty, we have taken only what we needed. And whatever else struck our fancy, thought Carrie in a moment's wryness. And much of our fighting has been done for honest pay. We want only a place to live a few years. Land to farm as free yeomen, and we will defend the country which shelters us as long as we are in it. We are too few to take that land and hold it against a whole nation. That is why we have not settled down ere this. But on the march we will scatter any army in the world or leave our corpses for carrion birds. The men of Kalorn keep faith with friends and foes alike. Help to the one, and harm to the other. Now we saw many fair fields in Riven, where we could be at home. The Ganasthi have cleared off the owners for us. 
So we offer you this. Give us the land we need, and we will fight for you against these Ganasti or any other foes while blood runs through our hearts. Refuse us, and we may be able to make friends with the Darklanders instead, for friends we must have. You see, snarled Jonan, he threatens banditry. No, no, you are too hasty, replied Sathi. He is simply telling the honest truth, and the gods know we need warriors. This general was anxious enough for our help out there in the eastern marches, said Kerry suddenly. Enough, barbarian, said Jonan with ice in his tones. Color flared in Sathi's cheeks. Enough of you, Jonan. These are brave and honest men, and our guests, and our sorely needed allies. We will draw up the treaty at once. The general shrugged, insolently. Kerry was puzzled. There was anger here, crackling under a hard-held surface, but it seemed new and strange. Why? They haggled for a while over terms. Nessa doing most of the talking for Kalorn. He and Bram would not agree that clansmen should owe fealty or even respect to any noble of Riven save the queen herself, and they should have the right to go home whenever they heard the famine was over. Sathi was willing enough to concede it, but Jonan had to be almost beaten down. Finally, he gave grudging assent, and the queen had her scribes draw the treaty up on parchment. That is not how we do it in Kalorn, said Bram. Attire must be sacrificed and vows made on the ring of Lugan and the pipes of the gods. Sathi smiled. Very well, red one, she nodded. We will make the pledge thusly too, if you wish. With a sudden flame of bitterness, what difference does it make? What difference does anything make now? End of section four. Recording by Paul Harvey.